0: Well, good morning, New Life. I don't know if anyone slept well last night. Anyone sleep well last night? Raise your hand. Curse! I mean, no. Good for you. That's, that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, didn't the worship team sound great this morning? That's all because of Anne. So Anne, great job. She was madly trying to make these guys sound good. I mean, if you heard them in practice, it was horrible. It was It was brutal. So... Well, I'm excited that you guys are here this morning. I'm excited about what God's uh, been sharing with me all week, and I'm looking forward to this morning to, to share, uh, with you guys. Uh, but I, I want to start with a question. Um, and I want you to answer it not from a Christian perspective, but from the worldly perspective. How, how would the world answer this question? And, uh, and just go ahead and shout out, shout out some answers. Um, so what does the world at large perceive as the ultimate prize? What is it that people in this world are chasing after? How would that be answered? Money. Money, Money, yes. What's some other answers? Happiness. Happiness. Yep. Peace. Peace. Well, how do we get to that happiness and how do we get to that peace? See, a lot of people think money is the answer, right? If I have enough money, then that's how I'm going to find that peace. That's how I'm going to find that happiness, uh, what are some other things that they're, they're doing or chasing after in order to find that peace or contentment or happiness? Power. Power, power is a big one, right? Fame, Fame right? If, if I'm famous, then, then I'll have money. Then I'll have power, right? Minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure. Yeah. Finding pleasures, right? These are all things that you know, the world constantly is chasing after. And and what's interesting is you start reading through the scriptures and and the scripture is very clear. You know, you can store up all kinds of money, all kinds of treasures, but you never know the moment you're going to die. And so Jesus told a parable of of the man who stored up all these big treasures. In fact, he had to build extra barns to store all these treasures. And he thought this was wonderful and great until suddenly his soul was demanded of him and he died. And he didn't get to take any of those treasures with him. And then there's others who, you know, they seek after fame. And that's what they think is it. You know, if I, if I can be really, really famous, you know, like Austin Matthews or Justin Bieber famous, then that will kind of satisfy me because then I'm going to lead some kind of a legacy. But the scriptures, again, repeatedly talk about how you and I are like grass here today and gone tomorrow. Right, And so suddenly, very few names, very few legacies stand. In fact, even even some of the famous, famous people from the past, their names might last, but the legacy of what they did is no longer standing, and that's gone. And then others seek for power. And and Nebuchadnezzar was a great illustration of this. He, He was boasting of all the power that he had. And God says, it's all gone in a heartbeat. And for seven years, he lived like a wild animal. So all of these things that the world is chasing after is fleeting. It, it doesn't last. It doesn't stick around because it, it doesn't actually work anyways. There's a, there's a really popular uh, illustration often used in business circles about how people try to climb a ladder and it's the ladder of success. And when you get to the top of the ladder, then everything will, will kind of work. Everything will be great. And, and so the In business often, they ask the question then, is the ladder up against the right wall? Because sometimes you might climb the ladder only to realize when you get to the top of the ladder that what you were looking for isn't there. And I think that's what we see in the world. That's what often is happening is we're chasing after, you know, climbing up the ladder of success of fame and fortune and um, maybe business, your career, um, maybe in terms of finding that pleasure and so forth. All in an effort to find that peace and that contentment only to get to the top of the ladder and realize what you were looking for and all that work you were putting into it didn't work. And that's why I think we see this world as in such an agitated position, why people are fighting and biting each other and, and warring with each other because it's just not working the way they hoped it would. And, and the reason is because you can't get what you're looking for the way the world's going about it. See, so <clears throat> listen to the uh, King Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes chapter three and verse 11. He said this, God has made everything appropriate in its time He's also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done for the beginning, even to the end. God has placed eternity within man's heart. And, and I think what that is, it's like an echo or a memory of Eden. We, we have an idea of what the ideal is, of what life truly is and can be. And so whenever we get that counterfeit, there's something in us that says, this isn't it. There's got to be more. Now, sadly, the answer is, well, then it's got to have more money. I got to have more power. I got to have more fame. And we keep chasing, climbing up that ladder. But what if we found another way? And I think the Apostle Paul found that. See, for a time, the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee, he was chasing after that contentment through religion, through his determination to live his life for God, being the most obedient, law-abiding person he could be. But it never seemed to work. And so then he discovers Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus and it ruins him. <clears throat> and it ruins him in the sense that he's never gonna find comfort or satisfaction in any other way. And so he says in Philippians three, how he says, I've counted everything but loss. I've thrown it all away, all aside for one thing. I'll trade everything that I might know Jesus, that I might know Jesus in an intimate personal way that's what matters that's that's the ladder that i want to climb up on that's what i'll trade everything for that i might know my savior jesus in a personal way and <clears throat> we've talked about this many times and we'll continue to talk about it this knowing is a an intimate knowledge it's not just knowing about it's not just information it's an intimate knowledge with a person because the reality is jesus is alive today That's what sets Jesus apart from every other historical figure. Every other historical figure, they've passed away and they're gone. So if you want to get to know them, at best, you can know about them. You can get to know about Winston Churchill. You can get to know about Abraham Lincoln. You can get to know these people, but only in a distant way. But Jesus, because he's alive today, we get to know him in a personal way. We get to know him in an intimate way because he's with us. And that's the, the beauty of this book in Ephesians, the mystery of Christ in you, that he's with us and we get to experience this incredible life with him now. <clears throat> so it's no wonder then that in this prayer that we've been going through these last few weeks, Paul's prayer is that we would know God the same way, that we would have that, that full, intimate epic knowledge of who Jesus is in a personal way. And he says the way to do, to do that, the way to know him in your heart is to know a, about some things in your mind. You see, the, the reality is we want to experience Jesus not just in our mind, but in our hearts, but the way to there is through the mind. And so Paul's been saying, there are three things I want you to know. And we saw that two weeks ago, we saw the first thing, which was, he says, I want you to know the hope of our calling and we saw the hope of our calling is really the cross. It's really all that Jesus has done there how we've been completely forgiven. Yeah, even that sin that you just thought of. It's gone. Because Jesus is bigger than that than that sin. And you've been washed clean, made pure. Why? Because something happened to you as a person. The, you, the, the person born here in Adam on planet earth was crucified and buried and replaced with a brand new person. That's not something that's in progress. That's not something that's happening over time. That happened in one moment on that cross. Paul in Romans six talks about it in the same way that Jesus died one time, you and I had to die one time and it's already happened. <clears throat> and so you're a brand new creation that has been made holy and blameless. Isn't that incredible? You can't get any more holy and blameless than you are today because it isn't about what you do or don't do. It's what Jesus has done. That's the hope of our calling. And that's awesome, but it gets better. Paul said last week, you saw the, the next thing I want you to know is essentially the inheritance that you are to God, the treasure that you are to God. How much God loves you. Right now, forever. That perfect, unchanging, unmerited, unlimited love that God has for us. And so it's getting better. And then the third thing that we're going to look at this morning is this incredible power that's been given to us. And as I kind of reflected on that, I, I kind of saw that <clears throat> really what, what's happening here is, is Paul's kind of going into deeper ways. He's, he's, he's starting off with, with something incredible and it just keeps getting better from there. And, and so it's progressing. And so it starts off with talking about how, you know, basically you're a pure new creation. But you're a pure new creation that's loved by Jesus. And now we're gonna see that you're a pure new creation that's loved by Jesus and given his power that we might know him. And it's not power for the sake of power we're going to see. It's a power that I might know and experience the living Jesus Christ in us. <clears throat> so let's let's read along. You can read along with me in your minds, or if you want, you read out loud, up to you. Uh, we're going to begin in Ephesians 1, verse 18 uh, to the end of the chapter. Paul says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know What is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might Let's pray. Oh, Father. Who's worthy? Who's worthy to talk about such incredible truths? What a a beautiful gift you've given to us. And Father, as as we've been talking this week and thinking about what you want to share, I pray that this moment now that you speak that I I recognize that you're here with all of us. You're in us. And and you can not only speak through me, but you can then take this message and, and interpret it and make it make sense. And so that's what we're trusting in Jesus. Do something really powerful. Do something that we would know really who we are and what we have in you. In your name we pray, amen. So in verse 19 here, Paul says, the third thing that you and I need to know is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I I loved how Paul described this, right? Because the the surpassing greatness of his power. It's like one adjective wasn't enough to describe this, right? It's it's like, it's not enough to say that something is big, right? It's like, Big is good, but it's it's a better way to say it, it's exceedingly massively, ginormously huge, right? He's he's like really emphasizing this. And that's what he's doing here, talking about this power that is this surpassing greatness of power, this super mega power would actually be an appropriate translation. That's how big this power is. And he goes on to describe the power. It's this very same power in the following verses that talks about how he raised Jesus from the grave, how it overcame death, overcame sin, raised Jesus up and seated him at the right hand of God with all power and all authority over everything, over what's good and what's over, over what's bad, over the angels and over the demons, over every power. You know, we have an election coming up and and I'm not worried about who's gonna get into office because God's in control. God has authority over everything. That's the kind of power that he's talking about here. This exceedingly, massively, ginormous, huge power. So why does that power matter to you and I? Because it's not enough to know that God is all-powerful. That sort of comes with the territory, right? I mean, if if he's not all-powerful, then is he really a God? Is he really the God? No, he he has to be all-powerful if he is to be the God. What's cool about this passage, what Paul wants you and I to know, is all of this power is towards you and I. All of this power is for you and I, and not just for you and I in our past, when we got saved, and it's not all this power for our future when we step into the other side of eternity, but all of this power is for our present right now. So the struggles that you and I face, maybe as a parent, or as a spouse, or maybe you know with our friends or an enemy, the struggles that we have at work, or when we're just dealing with our past or even the potential futures. All of that power is for that moment. I put it this way. Jesus is a present tense power that meets us in our insecurities, shame, anxieties, depression, illnesses, disappointments, hurts, and frustrations. A present tense power that meets us there. No wonder he says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that we don't need to be afraid because he's given us a power, a power, that, a spirit of power and wisdom and a sound mind. That's what it is at our disposal for us. What's, what's critical to understand about this power though is all of this power hinges on, on our part. It all hinges on an act that we need to do and that one act where everything hinges is that we believe that we trust, that we will trust him in the moment. So all of that power is available to me so he can be my peace when my kids are acting out. He can be the lover in me when my spouse has done something to hurt me. He can be that strength that says no to temptation that's wanting to pull me away and live in isolation. He can even be the courage that I need to go and share my faith with someone that doesn't yet know Jesus, maybe a family member or a friend. And I'm terrified of Well, what will happen. Well, Jesus is there and he can be that courage to get me to move forward in all that. See, we've, we've used this illustration in the past, right? We've talked about, we've talked about how, how we're kind of like a light bulb, and and you think about it, so a light bulb is designed for one purpose. It's designed to, to share light in a dark place. That's its point. That's its purpose. And, and, and what's interesting, though, that light bulb on its own is useless, right? I mean, it, the, the light bulb by itself produces no light. What it needs, what it requires is the power to flow through the light bulb and thereby producing the light. And it's the same way, you and I are like the light bulb. And we were designed to be united, joined to Jesus, that his life might flow through us. But if it doesn't, then we're pretty useless, like the light bulb. Instead of offering the life of Jesus, instead of offering his power and his love, we end up offering what the flesh wants to offer, which is misery and death. So instead of loving my wife, I begin to offer death to her. And then my shame starts to speak up and, and yell at me. And then I begin to retreat and pull away. And, and, and I get weird and awkward around her and isolate myself. And and nobody benefits from it. It's not a pretty sight. Ask Joy. Actually, don't ask her. It's not pretty. Just trust me on this one, right? And so, so you and I... We're this light bulb, and Jesus is the power. He's electricity. And so the question is, how do I get Jesus to flow through me? How do I believe? And and really, I really do think it's as simple as flipping a switch. It's that simple. What it means, that the flipping the switch is basically, I am recognizing my inability, but more importantly, the presence of Jesus but he is with me right now. He's not a God who's up in heaven, distant from me. He's not a God that is trying to call in some plays, hoping, you know, twisting his fingers, crossing his fingers and praying to to God the Father. I really hope that Chris pulls this off and doesn't blow it. No, he doesn't trust Chris that way. Instead, Jesus comes and he lives in Chris. So what's the flip Chris needs to switch? It's to recognize Jesus is here. Jesus is present. And Jesus is gonna light up, provide light to this dark place. That's what he's wanting to do. And so I say it's simple, but it's not simplistic. It's simple in the sense that it's it's this powerful truth that all it requires is me to realize it, what's so difficult and what makes it the, really the biggest fight you and I will face every day and many times throughout the day, is it's hard to remember. Can anyone else relate to that? It's hard to remember. You guys clearly have it all figured out, but I mean the rest of us, right? We're, it's, it, that's where the battle is. Do I remember it or not? And and so if I can, then his life begins to flow. So I liked how Solomon put it in Proverbs 3:4, 4, 4, and 5. It's a very famous passage. He writes here, he says, trust, which really just means to rely, to depend upon, to place your faith in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own power, your own ability. Instead, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge that he is present, that he is available, that he's willing, he's able, and he's sufficient in whatever need you have, whatever you're up against, and he will make your path straight. It's that last part that, that I sometimes struggle with. It's kind of interesting what Robin said during, uh, before one of those, the, the, that song, The Goodness of God, and, and saying, you know, I don't know where you're at today. And maybe this is a song where you're not quite sure how you can sing. Because I think if we're honest, that last phrase, make your path straight, might be a little offensive to some people. Because they look at their life, they look at their path, and they think, it's not so smooth. It's not like this new paved road that's nice and level with maybe a slight downhill slant to it. My path is like uphill in a snowstorm, on jagged rocks that are all loose and it's just falling out from under me and I'm I'm falling off and on the edge of a cliff. There's mountain goats, I don't know why, but there's mountain goats around there, right? It's just, it's freaking me out, right? So that's how my path feels and it doesn't feel very safe. It doesn't feel very good. And so the question that we ask, well, if I have all this power, if I have Jesus right here, right now, then why do I struggle? Why is it not easier? Why can't I just flip that switch, trust Jesus, and all the problems disappear? I mean, if he's all powerful, why doesn't he rescue me from all this? Why is my life not working? Or even better, why didn't he do something to prevent the problem in the first place? I mean, if he really loved me, wouldn't he have protected me from that? I mean, if he really has power over every dominion, why did this happen? Or why can't I seem to overcome it? Why do I seem so stuck in all this? Why can't I shake the shame? Or, or overcome my addictions to, to alcohol or pornography or food? Or, or why, why does my anger just always seem so out of control right there at the surface? Why, why is this anxiety that sits on my chest like a thousand pound gorilla, why doesn't it just get up and leave? It doesn't seem very simple to me. Am I the only one that struggles? You want to do a little testimony, Eldon? No, it's okay. Not today. My, my, here's my first reaction. My first reaction when things don't go well, not always, but often, my first reaction is, really, God? Really? Like, again? Haven't, haven't we fixed this? Haven't we done what we need to do? I mean, what, what else is there? What did, what did we do wrong? Like, really, God? Did I really need to face this struggle because ain 't nobody got time for this, really, and so did I really have to face this? and you know you know what the answer I get more often? No answer, certainly no explanation, just silence. Nikki sent this to me last week and and I thought it was so appropriate because it just, it speaks to the struggle. It's, she's reading through uh, Mike Donahue's book, Finding God's Life for My Will. And no, he's not dyslexic. And um, he writes this, he says, I think it's okay to refrain from developing theology when God stays silent. Where God speaks, we speak. But he leaves a mystery, maybe we should too. It's okay not to have answers. Answers have rarely ever changed a heart. But a a moment of knowing God is near, especially in the midst of pain, can set your heart on a new course. Peace is still possible. It's possible to hate sickness and not curse God at the same time. It's possible to say, I trust you, while also crying honestly, I don't know why this happened. In our hardest moments, we can keep giving thanks for life while we go on hating death. I think God hates death too. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to struggle through that difficulty, but know this, God has not abandoned you. He hasn't left you. It's just that as a parent, he sees the bigger picture. He understands more than we understand. And and he has really our best intentions at mind. That's what he's working towards. But what we need to understand is that while we might understand what's happening and why it's happening, the question is will you believe that he is good and that he is loving and that he is here and he's present? and he hasn't abandoned or forgotten you. Listen to what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, verses 14 and 16, he says, but Zion, Israel, the, his people have said this, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Where are you, God. Don't you care? Don't you see what we're going through? Don't you understand we're being attacked and taken over and we're being pillaged and, and some of us being raped like it's miserable? Don't you understand? Have you turned your back? Have you forgotten about us? And this is what God says to him He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even, even these may forget. But I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That statement takes on a whole new meaning in the New Testament. I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know, it's interesting when Jesus met with the disciples after the resurrection and and particularly when Thomas was there, you know, he shows up and he's got all his wounds. He's overcome death. He's not suffering anymore. Well, why wouldn't you just kind of heal that up? Jesus all, you know, a little surgery, all done. Good to go, right? I think he left him there as a sort of like a trophy, a reminder. How how can I forget you when I've got, you're more than just tattooed. I mean, there's a hole here for you. That's how much you mean to me. So there's no way I'm gonna forget about you. So it kind of begs the question, so why the problems then? Well, what if the problems... What if the problems were the very thing that God was using that you and I might know him? See, let me give you an option, two options. Option number one, you get to have a perfect life, pain-free. We'll give you $20 million. We'll, uh, we'll give you uh, a staff of, uh, of servants and butlers and maids to look after you. Um, we'll give you, a, a, on top of the $20 million, we'll give you a, an annual income. We will uh, we'll give you great power. You can be in charge of Guam. That would be cool, right? Uh, you might have to look up where Guam is, but it's pretty cool, trust me, right? So you're in charge of Guam and uh, all your loved ones are around you and you never have a bad day, but it comes with one, one little proviso, you don't get to hear the voice of Jesus. You're still saved, you're gonna to go to heaven, all that's there, forgiven, but the time on earth, you and Jesus don't hang out, you don't talk, you don't connect. Would you take that or would you take a life that has pain and has difficulties, has trials and tribulations, but it's through those trials and tribulations, Jesus is standing with you in every single moment. Which one would you choose? I don't want all the money. I don't want Guam. I don't want the maids and the butlers and and so forth if it's going to cost me the person of Jesus Christ because all those things will vanish one day. I want to know him. And, And while... While these trials and these testings are not the only way to get to know Jesus, please understand there are many ways to get to know Jesus. Hopefully you get to know Jesus through prayer and just, just talking to him and hearing what he thinks of you. Hopefully you get to know Jesus through worship this morning and, and how much he loves you. Hopefully you get to know Jesus through, through reading his word and studying and, and seeing all that he's done on the cross. There's lots of ways to get to know Jesus, but you'll never fully get to know Jesus without going through a trial? Think about it. How can you know his strength without also knowing weakness? How can you know patience without experiencing suffering and frustration? How do you know his acceptance without going through some rejection? How do you know his peace without having a storm around you? How do you know what it means to trust him without having a trial to test it? How do you know the one who's well acquainted with sorrow without having sorrow yourself? See, this, these trials, these testings, they come in very different sizes and shapes and forms. A trial or a testing doesn't mean everything's falling apart. It doesn't mean that your world is crashing. It can. It could be an unfaithful spouse. It could be <clears throat> little children who are maybe even big children who are rebellious and, and causing all kinds of pain in your life and fighting against you and tell you how much they hate you. Maybe it's the loss of a job or, or just a difficult job in general. Maybe it's your past catching up to you, the shame and, and other people's sins against you. It could include that. But there are all kinds of other trials and testings that are things that we want. Things like a marriage. I wanted to get married. I love being married. But it's not easy sometimes. Because one plus one equals one. That's bad math. That's conflict right there. I love being a parent. Isn't that cool? I love being a parent, but it's not easy sometimes. I love it. I love it. It's hard. It's really hard at times. I love leading ministries that I'm part of, but it's not easy. It's not easy to hear people's stories and see what they're fighting through. Those are our wanted trials, much wanted trials. But boy, do they ever throw me into into a faith and trust in Jesus Christ like I never dreamt possible without it. So it's not about the size of the trial that matters. It's what do we do in the midst of that trial? Who do we turn to? Who do we run to? That's what matters. Charles Price, he's a former pastor of the People's Church and. He was a principal of the Cape and Ray School, which is one of the torchbearer schools in England. He tells this, this incredibly powerful story of a friend of his, who was a very godly man, very mature man in Christ, uh, who was many years older than, than Charles. He was a mentor of, of sorts in Char- of Charles. And he often quoted this simple phrase, for this, I have Jesus. It was sort of like a mantra in his life. It's, it's what he kind of lived by. And everywhere he went, he would share this. He would preach about this. He would, uh, he would counsel people along these lines. He, he would hand out materials, tracts, and so forth. It was very simple phrase, but a powerful phrase loaded with truth. For this, I have Jesus. Well, when this man was in his about mid-80s, he suffered a very debilitating stroke. Never fully recovered from. He he couldn't walk properly, as Charles puts it. He'd be like sort of like a ship without without a rudder. He would get up to walk, but didn't know where he was going to end up. And he couldn't speak anymore very well. His speech is very slurred, and it was hard for him to communicate. He couldn't look after himself anymore. I mean, he wasn't on top of being eighty in his mid eighties. He now had this stroke to to hold you know all kinds of trouble for his life. And so Charles, you know loving this man, he would check in with him from time to time, see how he was doing. He would call his wife and ask him how things were. And this one morning he called and it just happened to be the same day that his friend had come home. And so Charles is speaking to his wife and she says, I think, I think he would really enjoy hearing your voice. So I'm going to hand the phone to him, but I'm going to warn you, you're probably not going to understand what he has to say because his speech is so slurred and, and it's so hard. And, and Charles like, that's okay. So he, you know, she passes the phone uh, or holds the phone up to, to his ear. And Charles says, I'm, I'm so sorry, friend, that you have to endure this, that you're going through this difficult time. And he, he said something as best he could, it, but it was so slurred. But, but Charles knew exactly what he was saying. He said to his friend, Charles, for this, I have Jesus for this trial, for dealing with the recovery of this stroke that I may never recover from on this side of eternity. I have Jesus to overcome it. Well, Charles was so impacted by this. A few days later, he was speaking at a conference. It was an annual conference happening in England called Spring Harvest, uh, right around Easter time. And uh, they would gather for five days. And they have a number of speakers. About 80,000 people would come to this Spring Harvest conference. And, and he spoke and he shared this story about his friend for this I have Jesus. And, and um, a, a few days later, after he returned home, he gets this letter in the mail from this, this lady who was there at the conference. And she writes to, to Charles. She says, I, I wanted to speak to you after the event, but with 80,000 people, it was hard to kind of you know, find you. And so I got your address and I'm writing you this letter because I want to tell you how meaningful that phrase for this I have Jesus has been to my family. A number of years back, my husband died in a horrific car accident, leaving me a widow and a single mom of two young kids. Well, the day before the accident, she says, I I got a letter from a friend. And and in the letter uh, was included a a yellow velvet bookmark with the words, for this, I have Jesus. And she saw it and thought, oh, that's kind of nice and kind of threw it on the table and Charles shares how, you know, that bookmark was actually produced by his friend. He would often make these bookmarks and hand them out. And she just kind of threw it on the table, didn't really think much about it. The next day comes and she gets the knock on the door from the police and they say, your husband's in a horrific accident. You need to come with us right away. And so she did. And by the time they got to the hospital, he had already passed. His injuries were so, so fatal. So she had to ID the body and then come home and now tell her two young kids that daddy's gone. So she walks into her house. And the kitchen's right there and she walks in and the first thing she sees sitting on that table is that yellow velvet bookmark. For this, I have Jesus. And she knew she was gonna be okay that for everything coming up against her, for all the the trials and difficulties of being a single mom with two young kids, she's not alone. That Jesus is gonna show up in an incredible way, in a way that no one else gets to experience because Jesus is big enough, is sufficient and powerful enough. Massively, exceedingly, ginormously huge power in that moment. She says that that phrase became so meaningful on my husband's tombstone we wrote, "For this we have Jesus." You see, the circumstances you and I face, they're bigger than us. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a counselor, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend. There's all kinds of different roles, different hats that I I wear, that I carry. And, And to be honest with you, any one of those overwhelms me. I'm a husband that's to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm a parent entrusted with five little precious babies to raise and protect and look after. I'm a counselor who meets with people who are going through t- horrific pain from either their past or sinful choices they're making right now. I'm a friend. Any one of those overwhelms me. Never mind how to add them all up together. And then on top of that, you add all the, the struggles and problems from my past or what I face just in this world. And it's so easy for me to slip into the mindset, I don't know how I'm going to survive. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And then the temptation to try to fix it, to try to control it, to try to take power over it so that I make everything work so that I remain safe. But it doesn't work. But the good news is that these things don't overwhelm Jesus. He's not afraid of one of them. The problem or the responsibility isn't bigger than him. And he can fix anything. He can handle anything. And and he doesn't always rescue me from the problem. That's nice, by the way, when he does that. But often what he does is he will sustain me through the problem. And in doing so, me and Jesus... We get to hang out. We get to experience life, and I get to know a Jesus that I never would have dreamt possible if I didn't get to experience that trial or that testing. And so his power that's overcome death, overcome sin, overcome every power, every dominion in this world, physical and spiritual, is available to us today. All he's waiting for, all he's desiring for, is that we would acknowledge that truth and that he's here. Flip that switch and trust that massive, ginormous, exceedingly super great power that is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here with us right here, right now. And no matter where we go or what we do, that never, ever, 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 ever changes. You are faithful to us. You are faithful to supply everything we need in the moment. And so thank you for how you love us. Would you now tap our shoulders in those moments where we forget? And that we would choose to accept that invitation, that tap. And that we would, we would turn to you and just pause, wait long enough so that we are confident enough to know that we can move forward in life knowing that you are able to do all things through, Christ, through, through us in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. Amen.